Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church podcast. We love hearing about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how Velocity has made a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now enjoy today's message. We are wrapping up a series we've been in for the last few weeks called Difference Makers. And it's a little bit bittersweet because, man, it's made such a difference in my life just as I've been studying and preparing and I hope that's the same thing for you. If it is your first time and you're trying to figure out, hey, just what exactly are we talking about? We've been looking at some people that God used in a great way in scripture and learning and looking at them to see what we can learn about how God uses us and wants to use us to make a difference. And we started this series by looking at Elisha. Elisha was a great prophet that God used in a powerful, significant way. And the takeaways from that is that You know, in order to get started, you have to leave behind some things. You have to set fire to your old way of life and run after what God is calling you into. And not just that, but how you can find purpose even just with what's in front of you when you're faithful. That God can even use something that seems monotonous and something that seems ordinary, and he can use that to call you into the place that he has for you and that there's purpose in that. So I hope you've taken some significant steps to do those things this past couple weeks. And today, as we're continuing this thought of difference makers, uh, I wanna approach it from this thought, and that's that being a difference maker isn't always about dreaming bigger, but sometimes it's accomplished by starting smaller. Sometimes it's accomplished in doing a small thing that maybe even seems insignificant. You think, what kind of difference could this make? But it's in doing that and being faithful and understanding God's purpose and that God actually uses. And to set this up, I want to read to you from a passage of Scripture in the New Testament. It's found in Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to look at verses 32, 33, and 34. If you've never read Hebrews chapter 11, it's really kind of like a who's who or reads like a hall of fame of the gospel greats. You see all these names of different people that God used in powerful ways. And the writer starts out with the dawn of creation. And he talks about some people. He talks about one of the guys is Noah. You've probably heard of him. He talks about Moses, talks about Abraham. That's who we looked at last week. He talks about Joshua. That was Moses' successor. He lists all these people, people everybody can think of, and even people that you probably wouldn't think of, to talk about how God used them and the powerful way that God moved in their life. And by the time he gets to verse 32, which is what we're going to look at, he's like, look, I don't have time to tell you about all the people God used and all the ways God used them. He says, you're going to have to just find out for yourself. He says, what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah and David, Samuel and all the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength. He said, look, there's all these people that did all these great exploits. Some of them were used by God. They were conquerors. They they won battles. Some of them worked miracles. Some of them administered justice. One became a president. Barack. 
became a president. It's like, and God used all these people to make a difference. And the phrase that caught my attention when I was reading this is in the last part where it says, whose weakness was turned to strength. The, the writer of Hebrews says, look, I don't have enough time to go into detail. And just as he says that, he also tells us that some of these people who God used, they didn't have enough either. They also lacked. And so I wanna speak to you from this subject if you're taking notes today. And I would encourage you to take notes. It's always a good thing to do. And in fact, I, I, I watched this little video documentary uh, earlier this week. Uh, it's about ants. And um, I don't know it caught my attention, but it told me ants, I don't know if you know this, ants have two stomachs. Uh, they have a stomach for themselves and then they have a social stomach. And uh, so if you ever like look at ants and it looks like they're kissing, they're really not kissing, they're going like, Bleh, here's a cupcake. And um, <laughs> I'm just saying like, when you come to church, you need to have two stomachs. You, you need to get fed yourself and you need to take some notes and jot something down so you can share it with someone else. And uh, scripture says, look to the ant, you sluggard. So it's biblical. And uh, so anyways, I'm just saying, God loves you more if you take notes. That's all. <laughs> Maybe. But I'm calling this message, if you're taking notes today, not enough. Not enough. And I want to pray. If it's your first time here, it's my custom to pray. I pray because I know when I get up here, I need God's help. I don't want to get up in my own strength, my own energy, my own effort. I, I don't want to just give you my opinion. I need God's help. And I believe if you came here, it's probably because you need God's help too. You need God's help in your life for some strength, some encouragement, some wisdom. And so I always like to pray and recognize that God is present in this place. We're not just going through the motions. This isn't just some kind of tradition, but we really expect God to speak to us. So if you would bow your head, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that you are present and you are here to speak to us. God, every time we open up your word, you speak, and I'm asking that you'll do it again, Father. There are people here who need encouragement. There are people here who need strength. There are people here who need wisdom. There are people here who need comfort. And God, only you can take one message and personalize it and individualize it to each and every person here. So God, that's what I'm asking you to do. Take this word, breathe on it, speak to people today. You know what they need. God, I believe you will. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. Hey, how many of you have a chore that you really just do not like to do? Anybody uh, have a chore you don't like to do? Um, may, how many for you, it's laundry. Anybody not like doing the laundry? Uh, how about cleaning the kitchen? Cleaning the kitchen. Yard work, is it yard work for anybody? Yard work. How about parenting? Anybody parenting? Is that, <laughs> that'd be my hand for that one. Um, I suppose just by definition, the fact that it's a chore, I mean, it's not enjoyable, nobody likes to do chores, but I'm saying all of us, we have like that one chore that just kind of rises to the top of the list. Like if I didn't have to do this thing, my life would be so much better. Which by the way, I'll just say this in case you don't know, that is one of the benefits of parenting. It may be the only good thing about parenting <laughs> is that you can give the chores that you don't like to do to your children to do. How many parents say amen to that? You know that to be true. It, like, it says children are a blessing of the Lord. I think that this is the blessing, 
that you can give them the stuff that you don't want to do. And it seemed to work well in my life. But uh, my kid, I live in this age where, where my kids uh, are all about making money. They, uh, they, they've discovered that money is uh, necessary to purchase things. And they're discovering that they have things that they like. And mom and dad is not going to buy everything for them. And they have learned that uh, the only way to get money is by having a job. In fact, that is the word of the Lord for some of you. You need to get a job, and that's your problem. But anyways, <laughs> but my, like, yes, brought my boyfriend just so he could hear that word. Uh, but the, the point is, my, my kids, they're, they're trying to, to earn money, and so I've discovered, like, I can get them to do some chores. Now, understand, like, at my house, like, really all I want them to do are the chores that are necessary and a prerequisite just to be a member of my family, like, clean your room, pick up your trash, clear your place at the table, quit hitting your brother, just simple things like that. If you would do that, my life would be so much easier, but I've been trying to give them some chores to, to help them out, and I found something that uh, has really worked well for me, and, and the thing is uh, cleaning the minivan. I understand, like, it is not a chore for me to clean my car. I, it's not a problem. I actually rather kind of enjoy it. And also, just for the sake of example, I want to point out that my wife is not the reason that the minivan is dirty. In fact, if you've been coming to church here, you know that I was against getting a minivan for quite a while because... Everybody knows that the back of your minivan is an entirely different world. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm just telling you, there are substances that exist in the back of your minivan that have not been cataloged by medical science yet. There are food particles that if you were to carbon date them, they would be older than fossils, older than dinosaur fossils. Like, this, the back of the minivan, it's this weird time war paradox wormhole. Like, you find things in the back of your minivan that you've never even purchased. I have no idea how they got there. Last week, I kid you not, I'm not making this up, I found a pair of underwear in the back of our minivan. And it wasn't mine. I have no idea how it got there. What is going on back there? <laughs> Gonna attach a GoPro and make sure I... Anyways, the back of a minute, it's a whole nother world. So I was like, kids, you made the mess. Clean it up and I will pay you. And so, you know, they go to work and I can't remember, like two out of the four of them go to work and really just one of them doing the best. And anyways, he comes, hey, you know, dad, it's done. I cleaned the minivan, give me my money and gave him some money. And I, I, I looked it over and it looked pretty good, gotta say. I was like, eh, it's not so bad. Until I got a little closer inspection. How many of you know, like sometimes things can look good from a distance, but upon closer inspection, you get to see all of the imperfections, all the areas where they missed it. And I mean, there were like, you know, fingerprints on the windshield. It looked like an episode of Titanic on there and there were you're like, you know, slushies in the back. There was all sorts of stuff. And I was like, <laughs> he hustled me. And like took my money and, and it is not clean. But it kind of reminded me of the chapter of Hebrews because you look at it from a distance and you think, well, it's no wonder God used these people. God, God used them because they were so great. God used them because they were so amazing. But on closer inspection, you begin to see all their imperfections. 
You begin to see all the places where they missed it. And what you got to know is that these were some imperfect people. In fact, this list of names that the writer of Hebrews lists out where, where he talks about uh, Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and Samuel, uh, all of these people may, in, may be uh, interest of you to know that, that these were all judges. Now, when you hear that word judge, I don't want you to get thrown off by that because when we hear the word judge, we think of somebody with a black gown and a gavel, but these were not those kind of judges. The, you gotta hear the word judge, you gotta think more like an avenger, okay? Like the, the people were in trouble and God would raise up an avenger to lead them out of trouble. The reason that God would do because a little context, there was Moses led the people out of Egypt, then there was Joshua who led the people into the promised land, Joshua, the wall of Jericho, you know all of that, right? But then after Joshua died, instead of raising up another military leader, God would raise up these different judges to fight off the opposing nations who would come in and try and oppress the Israelites. And so they're kind of like Avengers. And I mean, there was this, this one guy, like he would get mad and just start breaking things. He was like Samson smash and he would turn green. And it's crazy, that didn't actually happen. But I mean, he was this guy who like had supernatural strength. And, and then there was this like woman and uh, this woman was deadly. I mean, she was lethal and she was seductive. Like there was this uh, general who was oppressing the nation of Israel and she got a hold of this general, invited him into her tent, gave him something to drink. And just as he was getting sleepy, you know what she did? She drove a nail through his head, through, through his temple. You can read, it's in the Bible. Just read it for yourself. I'm just saying like, like these were the kind of judges that God put in place. And the whole reason that God even needed to raise up judges in the first place is because the nation of Israel, uh, they were a mess. They, they kept disobeying God, turning their back on God, kept rejecting God. In fact, this period of judges in the Bible, you can read the book for yourself, it's noted as one of the lowest points in Israel's history. It lasted 300 years. In fact, there were cycles of sin and disobedience. What would happen is the nation of Israel, they would turn their back on God. They would run away from God. They, they would reject God. And because they rejected God, they fell into bondage. Not because God didn't care or God didn't love them, but what would happen is they would, they would step outside of God's protection, step outside of the realm where he could care for them. And then when that happened, of course, then the enemies came in, put them in bondage. And with bondage came oppression. And with oppression came misery. And with that misery, they would cry out to God, God, save us. God, help us. God, move on our behalf. And God would raise up a judge to lead them back to him and to lead them out of oppression and deliver them from this people. And they would repent. Revival would break out. Things got better. As things got better, they got comfortable. And as they got comfortable, they turned their back on God. They forgot their ways, they rejected God. Does this sound like anybody's life right now? And the cycle repeated itself. And this happened over and over again, seven different times. You see it happen in the book of Judges. And with each successive cycle, things got progressively worse. And this is where we find Gideon in this story. It's been 300 years they've been in this situation. And Gideon was one of these judges that God raised up to deliver Israel from this nation called the Midianites. Now, the Midianites were crazy, 
Okay, the Midianites were the inventors of camel warfare. It's a real thing, Google it. Okay, you're like, well, what's the big deal about camels? Well, have you ever seen a camel? They're big, okay? And so they would come in and they would have the height advantage and that was significant even in this story. And so these Midianites, they, they roll up in their Camelac Escalades and they're, they're just gonna roll up and roll up over you is what they're gonna do. And, and what they would do to keep the Israelites oppressed is, is they would take their food supply. They, they would come in just as they were getting ready to harvest crops and they would take their crops and take their cattle and burn whatever they couldn't take because as long as they could pe- keep people impoverished, as long as they could keep people hungry, as long as they could keep people destitute, they could keep them oppressed. The people couldn't rise up and, and launch a revolt. So that's what they did to keep them under heel. And where we pick up the story, this has been going on for seven years. Seven years. It's a hopeless situation. Now, if you've been coming to church here for a while, you've probably heard me say before that seven is significant in scripture because seven is the number of completion. So maybe you could take that to mean that this is a completely hopeless situation. And I don't know what it is that brought you to church today and I don't know what it is that you're facing, but maybe that's the word that you would use to describe your situation. Maybe you feel like it's completely hopeless. Maybe the situation that you're dealing with is the fact that you've been praying for somebody, you've been asking for God to move in their life, you've been praying that they would know God like you know God, you've been reaching out to them, you've been doing what you can to help them, but instead of getting better, it gets worse. Instead of growing closer, they become more hardened. Instead of drawing and responding with gratitude, they become more callous to the to to you, to God, to the situation, and you think, God, this is completely hopeless. Maybe the situation that you're facing is a little bit different. Maybe what you're dealing with is you're trying to get free from an addiction, and you've taken steps to get out of it. You move forward as you know how, but it's like each time you take a step forward, you know it's only a matter of time until you fall back into it, And just like the Midianites would come and wipe out any progress that the Israelites, I mean, you feel like you try and take a step forward and then you just, you fall right back into it. You get wiped out from ever moving forward. God, what's the point? I've been trying to get free. I've been trying to get out of this. But every time I move forward, it's of no use. Maybe the situation that you feel is hopeless, if you've been doing your best at the job that you're at, you have been faithful. You've been serving God as doing it as unto the Lord. You've been trying to help the people who are around you. You've been trying to be a mentor, being an encouragement. You're putting in your time. You're showing up on time. You're living with integrity. You're not cutting corners. You're doing everything you know to do, and yet you still get passed over for promotion. You still get skipped over for more responsibility. And you're thinking, God, what's the point? I'm trying to live for you, I'm trying to set a good example. I'm trying to make a difference where I'm at, but it doesn't seem like it's working, God. It's hopeless, completely hopeless. So I don't know what your situation is, but it was in this completely hopeless situation that God showed up, speaks to Gideon, and calls him to lead his people to make a difference. And I'm not suggesting that God is gonna appear to you today. But I do believe with all of my heart 
that God is using this message to show up in your life, to grab hold of your attention, to say, hey, I haven't forgotten about you, and I wanna speak some things about the ways I've called you to make a difference and the ways I've called you to lead, and I want you to listen up because I got some things that I wanna say to you. And he does that for Gideon. And you're gonna discover something in Gideon's story that's gonna help you today because Gideon is this guy who the writer of Hebrews said his weakness was turned into strength. Now, how do I know that? Because Gideon said that about himself. God shows up on the scene, speaks to him, says, I wanna use you. And Gideon's like, hey, do you know who you're talking to? I am the weakest member in my family. I'm the, the youngest, I'm the smallest, I'm the lowest, I'm the least. But God sees you in a different light than the way you see yourself. You're so acquainted with your insecurities and your failures and you use them as an excuse as to why God can't use you to make a difference, but God sees you in a completely different light. He sees your potential. He sees what's possible. He sees what could be. And so I wanna pick up in Judges 6 because where we're jumping in, God has appeared to Gideon. He says to him out of the blue, greetings, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. And what we're gonna read is Gideon's response to that statement. He says, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I know I have. You're doing the best you know how. You know it says that God is with you in the Bible. Emmanuel, God is with us. But you look at your life, God, where are you at? It's like, God, here's the thing, like, I know that you can work miracles because like, like I believe it's possible. I believe you're capable. I, I, I've heard, and I know you've done it for other people, but I'm looking at my life right now, God, and I gotta be honest with you, I don't see it. Like if you're with me, I'd like for you to let me know and show up in some way that I can point to because I am looking at my situation. God, I gotta tell you, it looks to me like you don't care. It looks to me like you've abandoned me. It looks to me like you've forgotten about me. And no wonder Gideon responded the way he did because if his situation was indicative of God's presence, man, if I was Gideon, I would have responded the same way too. This is what it looks like for God to be with me? No thanks, God. I think you've forgotten about me. But the funny thing about complaining to God, and I don't know if you know this, God doesn't hear it as a complaint. He takes it as an enrollment offer. Did you know that? Like often the things that you're burdened with are the very problems that God has called you to solve. Like this isn't the main point of my sermon or anything, but it may just be worth telling you that your misery is often your ministry. That you're really frustrated about why something's not going right in your life. Like, God, I just, I need a mentor in my life. God, I need a leader in my life. I wish I had somebody who could show me like the right things to do, who could show me the next step to take. And God, I just, I don't have anybody in my life to show me that. And God said, you know what? Because you feel that way, 
I've actually called you to do that for somebody else. See, like, because you know what it feels like not to have a leader, because you know what it feels like not to have somebody to help you take a next step, I've called you to use your experience and use your wisdom because you've got something that you can share. You've got something that you can offer. You've got something that you can do. But God, I just, I feel so lonely. I I feel like nobody knows me. Nobody's my friend. Nobody reaches out to me. And he says, that's because I've called you to lead a group. Right? Right? Like, like you know what it feels like to, to not be cared for. You know what it feels like to not have somebody know your name when you walk into church. You know what that feels like. That's why I want you to lead a group. But God, you don't understand, like I've been, we've been trying to have kids and, and it just, we've been trying for years and nothing is happening and everybody else is having babies and we're not having babies. And if that's you, I wanna tell you my heart goes out for you because that's really difficult. But just like you know what it feels like not to have a child and to have love to give but not be able to give it, maybe God's calling you to foster a kid. Maybe God's calling you to adopt a kid. See, often the things that are a misery for you are really a ministry. And so Gideon, he's, he's like, God, you, you don't know. He, he, he's saying all of this stuff. He's complaining about everything going on. And watch what God says to him. He says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So you gotta be careful about complaining to God because that's like saying, God, I volunteer. <laughs> this problem that I'm telling you about, could you use me? That's what happens when you complain. And just as a side note, it's funny how God gets so little credit when things are going good and gets so much of the blame when things are going bad. He's like, God, where, where have you been? Because the truth is, God didn't deliver them into the hands of the Midianites. It was their own sin and disobedience that did that. Truth is, God had not forsaken them. You read the first part of this chapter. God actually sent them a prophet to warn them and speak to them, but they didn't listen to the prophet. They rejected the prophet. So none of this stuff was true, but nonetheless, Gideon's discouragement comes pouring out. He tells God all his excuses as to why he thinks he's forsaken. And God responds with this statement. Go in the strength you have. Now, I don't know your situation, and I don't know if you can relate to Gideon about complaining about everything going on in your life and why things aren't working and why God has forsaken you, but I do know this. I know that there is only one way to move forward. There is only one way to get past the place that you're in, and it's this. You have to proceed with what you possess. You have to proceed with what you possess. Now, none of us like to hear that because we want God to bail us out. What we want to do is rub our Bible, come to church, throw up a prayer, get some of that good God luck in our life. But can I tell you, it doesn't work that way. We want God to bail us out, to rescue us, to fight our battles for us. And here's the thing, God will rescue you and God will fight for you. Except he expects you to do something first. He expects you to start. And see this statement, it must have really shocked Gideon because God shows up to him, calls him a mighty warrior. Gideon doesn't believe it. He says, go in the strength you have. Am I not sending? And Gideon, he's like, what strength are you talking about? 
my clan is the weakest, and I am the least. In other words, I am the smallest and the youngest. I'm at my lowest, God. I'm at rock bottom, and I'm underperforming. Like, this is not going to work, God. I know my faults. I know my insufficiencies. I know my imperfections. You don't know who you're talking to. And one of the enemy's most effective strategies is to get you to look at what you don't have, what somebody else has that you wish you had, or what you used to have that you think you don't have anymore. But see, God isn't concerned with what you don't have. God didn't care about what Gideon didn't have. God's only prerequisite was for Gideon to proceed with what he already possessed. Because all God needs is all you have. So you don't need a different situation. You don't need a better opportunity. You don't need a different family tree. You don't need a better GPA. You don't need a different skill set. You don't need better connections. You don't need more intelligence. Can I tell you, all God needs is all you have. You just need to proceed with what you possess. Now, I'm not saying that where you start is where you have to finish. I'm just saying that you have to start. You have to start. That's why the lowest point in your life can be the greatest starting point. Because even if you're at rock bottom right now, at least you're on solid ground. At least you can move forward with where you're at. So that's what Gideon does. Against all odds, he trusts God at his word and he gets started. And he does something interesting. He makes a sacrifice. He builds an altar. And if you read through, it's all in, in Judges chapter 6. It's eerily similar to how Elisha starts. He, he makes a sacrifice to God. He builds an altar called peace, even though he was very much afraid. Then he tears down his father's old altar and burns up his father's old idol, the idol of Baal. What's he doing? He's making a clean break from his old way of life. He's saying, I'm not going back to this old way. I'm trusting God in this new thing. And this is the part where you would expect God to show up. This is the part where you think, okay, God's gonna intervene. He's made a clean break. He's saying, I trust God, except things didn't get better, they got worse. This is the point where after getting, he destroys this idol, burns up this altar, makes a sacrifice to God, the Bible tells us that the Midianites joined forces with two other armies, the Amalekites and the Kittimites. Let's look at it. It says, now all the Midianites, Amalekites and other Eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the Valley of Jezreel. So from all appearances, things have gone from bad to worse. From every perspective, it looks like, see before, all Gideon was worried about was the possibility of an attack. Now it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And I want to point that out to you because, see, following God is not a promise that everything is going to go well with you. Following God isn't a, isn't a guarantee that everything's going to be good. It's all good. It's not always all good when you're following God. If anything, I can promise you that following Jesus is going to be met with a lot of resistance, because just like the Israelites had an enemy, you have an enemy that wants to thwart God's plan for your life. And so when Gideon obeyed, 
Now it's like this desperate situation just went 10 steps lower. From every vantage point, it looks like they are outnumbered, they are outmanned, they are outresourced. It's just a matter of when they're gonna be wiped out. But what looked like imminent danger was really just an opportunity for God to demonstrate his power. So you gotta see things from the perspective of heaven. And it says that after all these nations gathered together, the very next verse says, then the Lord's spirit gave Gideon strength. See, it, it looked like his efforts were futile. It looked like it was over before it even began. It looked like it was too little, too late. But here's what you need to know, that if you will start it, God can sustain it. If you will start it, God can sustain it. Because Gideon started in his strength, but he progressed in God's power. Now think about that. Isn't that what we're really all after? Don't we want God to show up and work in our life in a powerful way? Don't we want God to do something that only he can do? I know I do. I know that I have too many needs in my life that I can't do on my own. I need God to show up. I need God to intervene. I need God to do something that only he can do. But so many people never see the power of God in their life, and they assume that because God hasn't moved, that he can't move, or because God hasn't moved, maybe he doesn't want to move, or because God hasn't, maybe he doesn't care about them. But here's what I've learned, that if you don't move, God won't move. I didn't say he can't. I just said he won't. Have you ever noticed how with Jesus, Jesus always required people to participate in their own miracle? Like there was this one guy, he had a withered hand, cried out to Jesus, Jesus, heal me. What did Jesus say? Stretch out your hand. It was in the act of stretching that his hand was made whole. There were these 10 lepers. They cried out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus spoke a word. He said, go to the priest. Didn't even speak a word of healing. He just said, go show yourselves to the priest. And then it says, as they went, they were cleansed. You know, there were, were these other uh, time, another time, like the, the, the multiplied loaves and fishes. You know that part, right? The disciples come to Jesus. Like, Jesus, there's, there's not enough food for these people. What are we going to do? We need you to do something, Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you have? What, what do you have? Not just that, but then before he ever even got ready to multiply, he made the disciples sit the people down in groups of 50s and 100s. Why? Because you have to put yourself in a position to receive a miracle from God. I'm just telling you that, that God always requires you to participate. So here's the thing that people miss about faith, and here's the thing people miss about God working in their life, is that it's not a matter of inspiration. You don't need more inspiration. What you need is participation. You gotta participate with what God has called you to do. No matter how small it looks, no matter how insignificant, it's not a matter of God working in you and through you and for you. It's a matter of you working with what God has already told you to do, no matter how small it looks, no matter how insignificant it looks. So what's the small thing that God has asked you to do? Maybe, you know, it's great to want your kids to love God and serve God and, 
and, you know, all of that stuff. But if you don't make it a priority to at least get them to church on the majority of the weekends, that's a small thing. Can I tell you, everything else is pointless. Maybe the small thing that God wants you to start with is forgiving someone, even though they've showed no sign of repentance. Maybe the small thing that God has called you to start with is making the decision to be generous with God, even though it looks like he hasn't been generous with you. I don't know what your small thing is, but the truth is God can't sustain what you won't start. It's great to want God to move in your life, but if you never start, God can't sustain it. But when you start, that's when God gets involved. And that's what happened. God's spirit came on Gideon, empowered him, and it says, so Gideon blew the ram's horn to summon Abiezer's family to follow him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh to some of the people to follow him. The tribes of Asher, Zebulon, Naphtali, they were also some to follow him, and they went to meet the enemy in battle. When he got started, more strength followed. And not just God's strength, but people started to follow him. Gideon went from being the weakest member in the weakest clan to leading the army of a nation. And this is where Gideon's story gets interesting. Because he gathers all these people, he manages to get 32,000 men to join him in the fight. Now, that's pretty impressive for, for somebody who saw himself as insignificant. But you have to recognize that he was facing an army of 200,000. So the odds are not in his favor. And as they begin to march into battle, God stops Gideon and says, Gideon, hold on. Uh, there's something wrong with the numbers here. Gideon's like, I'm so glad you said something, God, because like I was looking at the ratios and these numbers do not add up at all. And God's like, yeah, you're right. You have way too many people. He's like, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, you have way too many people because you're gonna march into battle and I'm gonna help you, but you're gonna think that it's because you're such a great military strategist. You're gonna think that you guys are just really great fighters. I say, I'm gonna help you win, but with the numbers right now, you're gonna think that you were able to do something. So he says, I need you to get rid of some men. Make an announcement. Anybody who's scared, tell them that they don't have to stay. Tell them to go home. So that's what Gideon does. He gathers all the guys and says, hey, if you're scared, I know some of you didn't want to be here. Go ahead, you can take off. And 12 or 22,000 men leave. He goes from 32,000 to 10,000. So he starts marching battle again. And, uh, and God says, Gideon, that's not enough. And Gideon's like, finally. Like, I knew that not that many people should have left I thought like maybe half, you know, maybe just like a few hundred. It's like, God's like, no, 10,000 is still too many. He's like, I just want to stop talking to you right now, God. I don't like this. He says, no, we can look at it. He says, he says, there's still too many men. Take the men down to the water and I'll thin them out for you there. If I say this man will go, he will go. But if I say this one will not go, then he will not go. And this goes on until he only has 300 men left. And this isn't like, like Gerard Butler and the Spartans, okay? This is like the socially awkward people. I know this because you know how God separated them? He chose the guys that drank the water who lapped it up like a dog. Who does that, right? These are the weirdos. Then God's like, these are the ones. 
that I want you to go into battle with. So he, he starts going. And what you gotta recognize is the odds weren't great to begin with. When it started, the odds were six to one. By the time God has finished, it's 600 to one. And if you think that that doesn't sound like a fair fight, I wanna tell you you're right. Because what you need to know is that what you see as a deficiency, God calls an opportunity. What you see as a deficiency, God calls an opportunity. I won't take time to read the end to you. You're gonna have to do that for yourself. But God called Gideon to deliver his people. That's exactly what Gideon did. God used him to rescue Israel, turn the nation back to God. He brought about a great victory. They had unprecedented peace for the first time in seven years and for the rest of Gideon's life, there was peace in the land. But you would have never expected it the way things looked because it looked like he was outnumbered. It looked like he was outmanned. It looked like he was outresourced. It looked like, like he did not have enough from every angle. And so many times we think we can't fulfill the dream that God has put in our heart. We think we can't make a difference because we feel like, God, I don't have enough. I, I don't have enough intelligence. I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough skill. I don't have enough connections. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough money. I, I don't have enough, God, for the thing that you're calling me to do. But what you see as a deficiency, God calls an opportunity. I, I, I don't know what you think is not enough for whatever dream God has placed in your heart, but I want you to think of that right now. I want you to get that in your head. Whatever's keeping you from stepping out, whatever's keeping you from making a difference. Because I wanna tell you, you're right. It's not enough. Because with God, it's always more than enough. It's always more than enough. God has shown this to be true all throughout the pages of scripture. Abraham didn't have enough instruction, but when he took that first step, God brought him right to the place where he was supposed to be. David didn't have enough respect from his brothers. Nobody considered that he'd ever do anything great, but because he was faithful with where he was at, God knew exactly where to find him in the field. Elisha didn't have enough experience, but yet when he answered God's call, he worked more miracles than any other prophet in scripture. Nehemiah didn't have enough help, but because he stepped out, because he got going, he was able to do something nobody else was able to do in 140 years. I'm just telling you, I don't know what is keeping you, but don't ever let the fact that you feel like it's a limitation step out because God doesn't see it as a limitation. God calls it an opportunity. God has actually put those things in your path by design so that he gets the credit for working in your life. If you had enough, if you had enough, you didn't need God, you would think it was you. You would think it was your confidence. You would think it was your ability. You would think it was your skill, but you don't have it. So guess what? You're gonna have to step out in faith. You're gonna have to move with where you're at. You're gonna have to use the team that you have. You're gonna have to use the intelligence that you have. 
You're going to have to use the skill set that you have. You're going to have to use the resource that you have. You're going to have to do it in the money that you have. You're going to have to start with what you got and watch God show up.